Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing we call life. Electric word, life, it means forever. Hey, wait a minute. No, it doesn't, actually. Uh, Prince died this week at the age of 57. I was a, a huge Prince fan. But that lyric always struck me as odd. Electric word, life, it means forever. It's a, maybe a bit of a deepity. Um, might be potentially poetic, but life doesn't mean forever. And especially if you go on to talk about, say, there's something else other than life, an afterworld, and a world of ending, ever, never-ending happiness, and you can always see the sun day or night. Hey, wait a minute. I thought day was what we defined as that period of time where the sun occupies the sky and night is the other. Uh, he was an interesting character who I think had some... Uh, incredibly confused and changing views on religion. Uh, there was a period where he seemed to have this Messiah complex, you know, I would die for you, and uh, all of these interesting aspects to his character. Um, he was viewed as um, a very sexual person and uh, had uh, some objectionable lyrics to some, some interesting songs, uh, Darling Nikki and Pussy Control, and you can keep naming them. Uh, but he was also a Jehovah's Witness, and uh, he was anti-LGBTQ. And so he wasn't someone that I would consider perfect, even though I absolutely love the musical genius that, that issued forth from him. He played a number of different instruments, wrote amazing music, and died far too soon. I sincerely hope that his Jehovah's Witness religion religious teachings weren't responsible for his early demise. When you have a religion that prohibits you from blood transfusions and has other very anti-scientific, anti-medicine views, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. Now, we don't know yet, and like I said, I hope that's not the case. But the point here is that you couldn't really put him in a box. And I'd like us to kind of maybe recognize that we have a difficult time putting anybody in a box. We're not going to agree with everybody or disagree with everybody on probably everything uh, at any given time. And while he was, you know, shaky on some lyrics and had politics that I didn't agree with, I, I'm, I'm, I was a fan and still am and was very happy uh, to have his music playing as part of the soundtrack to my life. There are other people within the atheist movement, for example, who I disagree with on a number of things. I think Bill Maher is great on religious issues, and yet he is terrible on science and medicine-based issues. Um, Margaret Cho, who's an incredibly funny comedian, I don't know her. I, I'm sure I would like her personally, talks about her uh, psychic and has some potentially anti-vaccine pseudoscience stuff. And she's actually speaking at the Reason Rally coming up in June because she supports church-state separation. I support church-state separation, or the separation of religion and government, as my friend Amanda Kanif would remind me to say, is far more accurate. And uh, while I won't actually be at the Reason Rally, I support the efforts there. This is the atheist experience. I know the credit said that Jen Peoples would be here co-hosting today. Unfortunately, she's ill, and so you are stuck with me for the full somewhere between an hour and 90 minutes, depending on when I actually kind of pass out. Because it's uh, it's been a long and interesting day. Um, I managed to uh, remove a longtime friend from my life due to a violation of a trust. That was a great way to start the morning. And then I went to uh, St. Luke's United Methodist Church here in Austin, where they are doing a series of Sundays where they take a look at other world religions and clearly non-religion. 
And I had a, a, a great privilege of uh, sitting down with those folks this morning, telling them, telling them a little bit about what atheism is, what it's not, uh, and my views on uh, religion. By the way, their church sign today said that heaven gained a purple angel, uh, which I find extra amusing as this idea of human beings becoming angels is not remotely biblical. There's no foundation for it at all. It's, this is like the equivalent of an old wives', old wives tale uh, within Christianity. It's something that, you know, it's kindergarten theology that you might uh, tell kids or, or something like that, but it, it, it doesn't even exist within there, and nobody, you know, at least not that I'm aware of, seriously preaches it. But even this church, which is, you know, a secular, progressive uh they, their views on LGBTQ issues uh, are far similar to mine uh, than Prince's, so maybe I should value those people more than Prince. I don't know. I think you value people differently, and you put them in different categories, and they mean different things to you at different times. Uh, it's a big old goofy world, to quote John Prine. And because I'm flying solo, I have nobody else to turn to to ask what's going on. I have nothing uh, announcement-wise to say other than I will be in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada next weekend, so I won't be on the show. Uh, there's a convention up there. I'll be there along with uh, Seth and Aaron and a few other people. I don't have the, the schedule up in front of me right now. The call lines are full. By the way, if you're trying to call the show, it's five, area code 512-686-0279. But all the lines are full right now. You can also go to atheist-experience.com and see a link uh, both in the upper left and in the how do I call the show section. It would be a green link that just says call the show. That will let you do essentially a voice over IP uh, call like you would with Skype or Google Hangout only using the, the software for our uh, call-in system. Um, after the show's over, we get together and then go to dinner at uh, Threadgills, which is, like I said, a couple weeks, just right over there and up just a little bit. Uh, you can get the address. Uh, it'll pop up on the screen right there, 64616 North Lamar. Given that, hey, that's seven minutes. Seven minutes I didn't have to do any actual debating. Let's go ahead and uh, get to some calls here. We've got Jared in Corinth. How are you doing? Hello? Well, maybe we don't have Jared in testing. Hello. Hello, Jared. Thanks for waiting. Hello. Can you hear Hi. me? Hi. Yes, I can. Very good. Okay. I've what? been a fan for years. Awesome. Well, well, let's see if we can fix that. No, if no you're way. if you're listening uh, through a stream, by the way, you, my, my, you're not going to want to do that because it sounds like maybe I'm on a massive delay. So, no, actually, I'm on my telephone and I'm not even by a computer or a uh, okay. TV. Okay, let's so. let's dig in then. What what'd you call about? Well, uh, if there is a God or gods of the Bible, and surely. God has changed the way he's acted through the Bible. Maybe could it be a maybe a, a UFO, maybe? Uh, extraterrestrial? Maybe giving people influences to write a another changing way of we perceive a God. Um, I'm not, I'm not he, quite sure God what you're saying. Not change, but I, I'm not I, quite I, sure what you're what you're pointing. I don't know if you believe in my point is, I think there are aliens, good and bad, maybe, and that's how we came to be with uh, DNA manipulation. Okay. Maybe, For, uh, like the Anunnaki. I, 
I, I, first of all, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe that that's the case. But uh, one thing that you, you said right there is kind of weird: DNA manipulation. So you think that DNA happened without aliens, and yet they manipulated it to make us? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, Why? I mean, DNA is a self-replicating molecule that, in and of itself, is sufficient to explain where we came from. So, what makes you think that there was tinkering? Well, I, I couldn't answer that. Like I say, I have no uh, facts on what I'm stating. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to fill in the gaps between uh, is there a God or afterlife or, or is there nothing does it all. You know, I'm, I was raised in church, and I, I guess I don't believe in it anymore. Well, I, I understand yeah, that, and I understand, you know, part, trying to figure out that. Part the, of me wants to. Uh, right. I figure trying right. to. I understand trying to figure out the answer to this. The question is, you know, you say you believe they're aliens, and then I ask you why, and you say, "Well, I really don't know." Well, don't you think it's a problem if you believe something and you don't know why? You don't have any good reasons. Yeah, I, I do. I, that's that's part of. I think everybody that is religious, I yeah. believe that's everybody's so, problem. So when I find out we don't know, when I find out that I believe something. <clears throat> And it turns out I don't have good reasons for it. I have no choice in the matter. I can't believe it anymore because I care about the reasons for why I believe things. Uh, it's, I don't. I, I can't even comprehend the possibility of saying I believe this, and then when you find out you don't have good reasons for it, you keep on believing it. I, I, I can't. I just can't wrap my head around it. It sounds more like. Or I suspect it's more along the lines of not so much I actually believe this as it is I don't have a better explanation and this isn't necessarily impossible, so I, I'm, I'm going to go with this type thing. And not that I, I don't know because I can't read your mind, but when, when you say that you think you should yeah, I, have I good reasons. That. That's... So, so do you believe in aliens? I... Oh, of course I do. Okay. I've, I've seen. I've seen stuff around that I definitely, but... Uh, okay, so now, now the first time when I asked why you believed in aliens, you said you didn't know. And now, after... No, I, I said I didn't know why they would manipulate DNA. I oh, I'm sorry. I well, didn't say I'd never seen them. Oh, so yeah, you, you've yeah. seen aliens? Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. what do they look like? My whole life. What do they look like? Well, it depends. There's different, there's different species. Mm -hmm. Um... I would say the grays are not actually that gray. They're kind they of off gray. Of a tannish tint. Well, no, not uh Well, let's see. Um, my skin tone is kind of red, so I don't consider it tan. They would be darker than me, I think. So, I mean, what I'm wondering is, I, I don't uh, know. so, so you 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 claim that you've had these experiences where you've witnessed aliens. How did you confirm yes. that they were actually aliens? I, I was awake. I, I, I understand. I'm a, how did you confirm well, I mean, that they were actually aliens and that this wasn't just, you know, uh, a misunderstanding on your a part? Dream. Oh, well, Lord. Uh, I've never seen a human being look like that. Okay, well, okay, just because you've never seen a human being look like that doesn't doesn't tell you what you actually saw. 
I mean, w- uh, was there some kind of interaction? Did they talk to you or? Yes, yes. What what kind of things do they tell yes. you? They didn't actually speak. It was telepathic. Oh, it was telepathic. I could, uh, I could hear it in my head. Okay, yeah. so but I wasn't so, so drunk. let's say I wasn't high. Okay, I, wasn't. I I get you. I I don't think you have to be uh, drunk or high. Let's just say you and I are sitting in the in the room. And I was awake also. Okay, you and you. Let's say Jared, right. you and I are sitting in a room, and we're both awake, and we're not drunk, and we're not right. high, and you get a message in your right. head. You, you you get what you think is a telepathic message in your head. Did it come from me? Right. Did that me- uh, did that message come from me? Ooh, I've never. I I don't know. Yeah. I, how I how would you know? Would. So let's say there's four people in the room, and one thing that you suspect might right. be an alien, but you're not sure because you haven't done any sort of examination or anything else, and you get a telepathic message. You right. think. How did you confirm that it was actually a telepathic message rather than just you thinking to yourself? And then how do you tell where it's coming from? Right. Well, well, you you know when you uh, communicate with them, that entity, you know who you're talking to. Okay. How? And I don't know how. Uh, I guess you're looking right at them. Okay. Um, I, I'm looking at the TV screen. I'm looking at the audience. Um, yeah. If one of them were to send me a message, uh, you, you're saying I would know. They're all trying. They're literally like this right now, trying to send me a message. And you're saying I would know which one it is, right. but you can't know how you know. Well, I, I don't know how to answer that, man. Uh it was, uh, How would you demonstrate? So, uh, so let's say you- a lifetime experience for me. Okay, so you're an expert at identifying which aliens are sending you messages no. from a lifetime of experience. No. No, no, I'm not an expert at all. You've no. got a lifetime of experience of identifying no, which aliens are telling yeah. you messages, and you don't think that that counts as expertise? I don't no, have I'm, that. No, Lord, no. Okay. Not, well, let's let's I not call it expertise. Claim to be any expert at all. Oh, well, let's not claim. So, I'm what not. I'm saying is, you have a lifetime experience where you've been receiving messages from yeah. aliens, and I haven't. Well, not, so you not know like something. Messages, and I'm no artist or no genius or anything like that. I'm just a poor country boy that is trying to figure out this thing called life. You know. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I know how to paint a car. I'm an expert at that, but that's about it. As far as intellectual, no. Um, well, if if I need a car, know, if I need a car painted, and I'm in your area, I will perhaps look you up, and then you can explain to me. <laughs> Thank you. How Thank you can you. possibly? I mean, because so basically, you're describing you've had these experiences, and you have your per- personal interpretation yeah. of them. Uh, why should anybody else believe right. you? Well, they don't have to, and I, I never, everyone thinks I'm crazy. That's why I never talk about it, but uh, I'm just trying to get to the, I, it's hard for everybody to realize when you're dead, it's it's nothing, nothing else, and uh, it's just hard for people. See, I, I, don't, I don't know that you know? either, because I don't claim to know what happens. Uh, I, from all, all parent accounts, I'll just cease to exist. Um, I think if, if there's anything 
any point that I could try to make that might be useful. It's you should probably try to spend some time figuring out how it is that you think you know the things you think you know. Uh, because I can tell you that, let's say, an alien showed up right here. I don't know how I would tell it's an alien. I, I mean, I'd have to do some investigation and some perhaps communication. And if I heard a voice in my head, I don't know how I could assume that it was necessarily coming from... I just don't have those experiences. And if you're claiming that you don't have any way that you can show anybody else the truth of this... Then, you know, normally, right. if somebody sees and hears things that somebody else doesn't see or hear, and you don't have any way I'm to... I'm not schizophrenic. Well, I know where you're... I'm not, <laughs> I'm not yeah, diagnosing I, you. I know I, what you're getting at. Okay, what am I getting at? Because I wasn't going for schizophrenia. Okay, okay. I mean, maybe uh, you can read minds, but you didn't I just mean, read I, mine. No, I... I... I uh, I didn't read his mind. Like I said, he spoke to me through, yeah, well, I guess I guess that would be a form of mind reading. Yes. Yeah. So all um, I'm saying is nor- I didn't normally, to, I didn't Jared, to say it like Jared, that. Jared, all I'm saying is yeah. normally when somebody tells a story like you've told and they acknowledge that they can't prove this to mm-hmm. anybody else, then the only position that somebody else can have would be to dismiss this as unproven. And if that's the case. Right. You have then have an obligation, I would say, to question the veracity of what, or to, to try to figure out whether or not you are justified in believing this. Is it possible that you might be misled, that you might be reaching the wrong conclusion, that your interpretation of the events doesn't actually match reality? Is that possible? Anything's possible. Well, I guess. I, I, I don't yeah, actually I buy agree. the anything's possible, agree, yeah. but. It certainly seems like we know that people well, I mean, we know that people experience delusions. Look, I'm not we also like you, right? Jared. I'm, I'm, I'm just not delusional. I mean, well, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying. I mean, I'm Jared. I'm healthy. Um, I work Jared. every day. I, Jared. Yes. We know that people experience delusions, correct? Right. Okay. So that exists in the world. Yeah. Okay. We also know that there are a number of uh, other mental illnesses and issues that can result in delusions, correct? Mm, yes. Okay. We also know that people often uh-huh. make mistakes about what they see and hear and remember. Right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So going back to my favorite philosopher, David Hume... The question he would ask is, is it more reasonable... That I've heard of. Okay. Is it more reasonable that someone should be deceived or attempting to deceive than what they actually claim is true, and you should reject the greater miracle? Basically what that means is, living in a world where we know that there are people who experience delusions, there are flaws in memory and interpretation, and... Get, and someone reports something for which we have no evidence for what that we can't demonstrate yeah. of those well, three see, I'm possibilities not, I'm not going around preaching what I believe at all I don't okay I don't teach any kind of salvation I don't I, I believe in karma you live a hard life hard things might come back to you I'll open the door for anybody even you know I I try to do Good. Yeah, I don't believe in karma. You know. 
I don't believe in karma. Karma is the well, idea I mean, that there's a cosmic set of scales out there, justice-wise, that there's something out there trying to make sure that good comes to good and bad comes to bad, and we know that that's wrong. As a matter of fact, we all, we know well, it, okay. we know but, that um, it's not true I, so well that they've invented entire afterlives because it's very clear that justice is a concept that we have to implement. That the cosmos and the universe well, doesn't I care about. It. I mean, what? Okay, that's fine. But I I just believe do do good to others if you I, want others to. I, I'm fine with but the ethics of uh, that is that people. is not karma. That is not karma. That is the ethic of reciprocity or the golden rule, and that is all about how humans okay. interact. Okay. But in any case, uh, thanks for calling in, Jared. Uh, I wish you luck. If you can, Thank you. if you can talk next time the I'm, aliens talk to you, I'm still a fan. Also, may, next <laughs> next time the aliens talk to you, maybe you can get them to give you some information that would allow you to demonstrate the truth that they're out there and that they're talking to you. All right, so we're uh, we're starting off with a an unusual show. It's rare that we get somebody calling in uh, about aliens. There are people who uh, will occasionally ask, you know, hey, uh, what about directed panspermia, or do you think that aliens might exist? Uh, and my answer is sure. When you look at the Drake equation and how big the actual universe is, it seems a bit obnoxiously arrogant to presume that we are in fact the only intelligent life or the only life exists here on earth but that is about the numbers that is about whether or not it seems possible you know the building blocks of life are found out in the universe uh do i have any evidence to believe or to conclude that there are in fact other intelligent beings nope I don't see sufficient evidence to justify the claim that they might have visited us and built a pyramids or manipulated DNA or mutilated cows or made crop circles or any of that stuff. Uh, so there's a difference between acknowledging, hey, when we look at the universe, it seems likely, uh, or actually it'd probably better to say it seems unlikely that this tiny little insignificant planet in one solar system in one galaxy of millions of billions is the only one where... Some form, of, some form of life has arisen. It is also necessarily the case that there must have been a first. That, you know, at some point there was no life in the universe, and now there is. Were we the first? Are we the first? Or were there others? We don't know. Uh, but when it comes to telepathic uh, varying species of aliens visiting and communicating with people, uh, I just don't see the evidence for it, much like I don't see the evidence for religions. I will say that, apart from the telepathy, I don't necessarily think that it's a violation of the uh, laws of physics in the universe that there is other life. The telepathy thing might be. And so for that reason, I find the alien hypothesis far more plausible than the God hypothesis, because the God hypothesis involves something outside of space and time, and we don't know that that's anything real. And uh, extends this outside of space and time to also be, you know, more powerful. Basically, we're using Occam's razor and saying we cannot investigate the supernatural, so we don't have good reason to think it exists. In the natural world, though, it seems reasonable that there might be other life, but whether they're interacting with us in any way, uh, I'm not buying it yet. But we've got uh, Jared, another Jared. I'm going Jared to Jared uh, in Phoenix. Thanks for waiting. Hey, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. How you doing? Doing all right. 
so actually one really interesting thing, uh, I remember you were talking about this in the intro of the show, you know, about Prince and his religious views. I'm wondering if, you know, if on the on the way the people's stardoms are, you know, when, you know, we, we uh, of course we glorify, you know, certain people in, in the celebrity world. I'm wondering if it, would, it wouldn't be too much to ask these people to take it upon themselves to, you know, at least kind of shut off some good, you know, some good words of advice to younger generations or, you know, at least in terms of, like, education and yeah. stuff like that. So I mean, I'm huge outreach. I, I, I get that. I'm, I don't like the culture of celebrity. I really don't give a rat's ass if you're famous or for whatever reason. Uh, I've met people who are famous, and I treat them like I treat anybody else, and hopefully they'll do the same for me. Uh, I'm not starstruck ever because i just don't buy into that we're we're all human beings uh, but but it's undeniable that there are people who have more influence and, and broader reach the question that you, that you're kind of asking is do they have some obligation this spider-man like obligation of the great power and great responsibility should they be using that reach um and i view it there's a difference between a moral obligation and a moral virtue and a moral obligation is something that you would be duty-bound to do or avoid doing. And a moral virtue is something that you would be lauded for doing. And I would view, you know, they're people, and they're entitled to their private lives. They're entitled to their political views. They're uh, entitled to spend their time however they want. And I think that it's, um, I think it would be wrong to, to ex- expect or obligate them to do so. But I think we should uh, encourage and applaud those who do. Um, and there are many who are uh, philanthropists, sometimes secretly. I don't need to get my name in the paper for giving a donation every week type of thing. Um, there are others right. who work with the government, you know, uh, doing uh, school programs, mentorships, uh, supporting lots of good uh, programs. Some of them do it, you know, to get out of... Uh, to get better get leniency from a court as their uh, court-appointed civil duty. But I think, you know, it's something that should be applauded, but I don't think it's something that should be uh, required or necessarily expected. Uh, but also I think that if you're going to do something public, uh, that you don't get to cry foul when the public reacts to it. And so right. if you are in this position with a massive outreach and you start spreading misinformation about vaccines or pseudoscience or health, or any, you should be called out just as publicly as what your statement was, um, if, if at all possible, perhaps even more so. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So let's, uh, I guess we can go ahead and get to my main question. I know you got a lot of callers you want to get to. Sure. So, um, just a little bit about myself, though. Uh, I've studied mechanical engineering, and I'm currently pursuing a degree in physics. Um, awesome. I might get a little little theory heavy here and a lot of speculation, but really it's just to kind of put the idea out there and just get your opinion on it. Okay. So what I have realized about theism is that if you're going to propose an idea or a hypothesis such as does a creator exists, then you're going to have to have some very heavy boundary conditions to that. So, What, what do you mean by boundary conditions? Because my first thought is you need to define all the terms. You need to define absolutely. God and you need that's to find exist even. Right. Uh, right, right. That's exactly what I'm getting to. Okay. So 
boundary conditions are basically, you know, just aspects and characteristics of what you're trying to sure. hypothesize. So typical, you know, religious idea of, of God is omnipotence, omniscience, uh, omnipresent, etc. Yeah, the God of classical and, theism, although I will say that while that those characteristics count for the God of classical theism, they really don't apply to gods of modern theism. Uh, in part because a lot of what philosophy's done, you know, uh, omnipotence is a self-defeating, self-contradictory concept. Uh, the silly things like, you know, can God make a create a burrito so hot that he can't eat it, um, might might have an equivocation on uh, power. But generally speaking, those terms get redefined by modern theologians, apologists, as God is maximally powerful, maximally knowledgeable, and then nobody knows what the hell maximally knowledgeable means. Does it mean, you know, right. everything? Do you know the future? You know, but by all means, continue. So, yeah, no, absolutely, I agree, I agree. And um, so basically, you, you think about this, and if you, I mean, I'm, I'm a very common sense, or I try to be at least, a very common sense kind of guy. So if you posit something like that, it's obviously not going to make very much sense. So, you have to change your definition of what said deity would be like. Okay, so now let's actually take a chance at that. So, billions of years from now, let's say if humanity manages to make it that long, obviously we're going to be, at least uh, in reference to the Kardashev scale, pretty up there, you know, type 5 or above, maybe. So maybe I, I, I speaking, I'm not I'm not necessarily convinced that that's the case because you know we we can't know about a potential technological roadblock. Um, sure, but but I'll run with that. Go ahead. So, yeah, it, a lot. Of, I guess it's a lot, a lot of it's speculation, but um, I figured you know if you know things like the multiverse or the you know things like that exist and the, the possibility at least is there. As, as dim as it is, it might be there. Maybe not in this universe, perhaps, but perhaps another. But uh, I digress. So, if we have the technology and the understanding of physics to completely describe mathematically and physically the laws of nature as we understand it at that point, I, I, I honestly wouldn't be afraid to say that a simulation of sorts would be beyond that civilization's reach. And, of course, you, you have all kinds of questions of motives and purpose that pop up at that point. Okay, well, why would they want to do something like that? I mean, technically speaking, we do a lot of things just because we can. So, if the possibilities are there, I think that's something to entertain. But now this, this gets me to my main point. So, first of all, and I'll let you get to your main point. Um, sure. I'm not sure that it's fair to say the possibility is there when the truth is we can't show that it's impossible. And the failure to show that something's impossible doesn't mean it's necessarily possible. Uh, the, the fact that we could pay, perhaps simulate, uh, create simulations that become increasingly real uh, does not mean that we could actually simulate something as vast as the universe or even something like a human mind. It may be that there are uh, basically, the fact that we begin to understand how the universe works does not necessarily mean that we can manipulate every aspect of how the universe works. And so there may be barriers. There may not be. And so, so 
I just want to be, I just wanted to have some caution there in saying X is possible when in reality we should be saying X has not been shown to be impossible. Very true. And I know, I know typically that's, that's, you know, how modern math or even older mathematics is approached. You can't necessarily prove something for absolute fact, but you have to try and disprove it in every other way possible. So I understand what you're saying. Okay. Okay, but main point is that evidence. So if we were to try and examine, you know, our local understanding of, you know, the fabric of reality, how could we even start approaching that? So is there evidence of it, or is it just something that we're going to discover along the way? So now I'd like to bring up two things. So there's a physicist out there, well, there's two physicists, but one I'll mention his name is his name is Max Tegmark. I'm, I'm probably sure you've heard of him. I think so. Um, so he uh, is <laughs> kind of wacky. Not even going to lie, but you know he does a lot of uh, a lot of talks with Neil deGrasse Tyson and you know all the the mainstream uh, physicists these days. He, he's really into quantum mechanics, and he is a huge proponent of something called ontic structural realism. Mm-hmm. So basically, what that uh, what that's uh, premising is that if we can prove that something something like mathematics is embedded within the fabric of our reality, it could lead us to uh, conclude at some point, and with enough sufficient evidence, that perhaps what we're living in is a simulation. Yeah, I don't buy it. So that's uh, that's pretty much where it starts. It's it's not necessarily the foolproof, but it's like a stepping stone. Yeah, and I, I don't buy it, so I mean, it's kind of dead at the start. And here's the thing. Mathematics is uh, the, the study of um, quantifiable order, essentially. And these, uh, the idea, this is nothing really new. There's actually a video that I'm shooting tomorrow um, about a sermon that I heard when I was a Christian, which stuck with me. It's the only sermon where I remember a lot of specific details, and it was all about the number three and finding, you know, three all over the place and this being confirmation of the Trinity. Um, I'll talk about that in the video, and I'm also going to be talking about phi, the golden ratio, uh, and how we find this all over the place in nature, and it is uh, almost seemingly synonymous with, you know, beauty along with symmetry. Um, and there are people who, from the Greeks on up, have thought that phi was, the, you know, the number of God. And, you know, I think it was Isaac Newton who said mathematics is the language with which God has written the universe. Um, the problem is this. We're seeing order in our universe. By definition, that order, which is quantifiable, is going to lend itself to some mathematics. If this is true... Uh, well, this I'll just say, this is true whether we are in a simulation or whether we were the uh, the universe that brought forth a simulation because there must necessarily be order, structure, and some form of mathematics in there in order for them to be able to create a simulation. And so this gets... So I looked at... Uh, in, in the previous caller, I thought maybe we were going to get to directed panspermia, which is this idea that aliens basically uh, seeded life. And... Th- you can't show that that's not true, but at some point back through history, life still has to come from nothing. Abiogenesis has to happen for one of the, you know, one of the initial progenitor, I guess. And, you know, then they can, you can direct however you want, but at some point you still had to have abiogenesis. And the same thing is true with this 
uh, simulation idea, and that there's still order and structure in e- in any given simulation and in whatever civilization created you know, that, that, that exists outside of the simulation, unless you want to claim that it's you know turtles all the way down with simulations, and I don't know how that argument can hold up. So given that that's the case, what we have is you need a way to distinguish the particulars of the order that we see in our, quote, simulation, to distinguish that from the order that we see in the non-simulation. And as we have no access to the non-simulation that we're aware of, or until we do, we can't make that comparison. It is the same roadblock that prevents science from investigating the supernatural. We can investigate claims uh, that this is supernatural, and all we can ever do is confirm that uh, somebody can apparently, you know, find water with a stick. We we don't know the how, and we can't make a connection to the supernatural until somebody create, shows a mechanism by which we can investigate and confirm the supernatural exists and can interact with, with this reality. And for me, it, it, the same thing is true for the simulation models. It just kind of pushes the problem, I guess, one step back. Okay. Sure, so yeah. I, yeah no. And it ties into solipsism, too. I, I, I can't prove to anybody that I'm not uh, the only mind being fed information as a brain in a vat. I can't prove to anybody that I'm not living in the matrix. I don't think that's the case. I think that's a, and I certainly don't think it's the case that I am in fact the only mind and I am personally inventing all of this uh, because that's incredibly arrogant, which means I wrote every Prince song that I liked and uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, I didn't do that. But I don't know. So basically what I was just trying to do was just set up a like a, like a a starting point. Mm-hmm. So I understand, I understand everything you were saying, but there is more to come with it. So, you know, just a, just in case anybody in the audience wants to actually try and research it, I uh, was just throwing it out there. So really this begins with, you know, some of Max Tegmark's ideas, which aren't solely his, but, he you know, he's kind of popularized them uh, as of late. You know, it's called ontic structural realism. Basically just talks about math, you know, being embedded within the fabric of reality, uh, continuous versus discretized, uh, you know, universal type. So things like that are what physicists um, are looking for in order to try and confirm this. So another place I was going to, uh, or another physicist I was going to mention was, is a guy named James Sylvester Gates. Yeah, I don't, and, uh, I don't <laughs> familiar. But go ahead. Uh, so, so he is actually a theoretical physicist as well, and he deals with some very crazy stuff. Um, string theory primarily. And one of the one of the things that he's been working on is you know, very misconceptualized within, uh, you know, science and non-science. So immediately when people see his work, they think, oh, my God, he's discovered the matrix. But really, that's not what, what he did. So, but one thing he did do was show, at least as far as, you know, he's concerned, you know, it still needs to be peer-reviewed, and it's still being peer-reviewed. There's been no real general dissent yet, uh, as far as I've read, that he basically just takes all the information that we know about the laws of physics, he uses some mumbo-jumbo in the computer science world and spits out some information. And the information that he gets out is really interesting because it shows that there is a computational similarity similarity to what we do with computers. Okay. So the laws of physics obey and interact with one another in this sense. So the laws of physics are descriptive. We are describing how the universe works. Okay, so I, I, I hate to, uh, you know, essentially 
stick a fork in this, but there are a bunch of other calls, and while I love sci-fi as much as anybody else, until we get beyond speculation and until we get someone who can actually show a mechanism, then what we get are, as you say, mumbo-jumbo that leads to interesting results, which may actually have some significance, but until the significance is shown and we can we can demonstrate that it's reasonable to reach a conclusion from that, uh, then it's all, you know, hey, some folks are doing some interesting things and someday it might mean something. I mean, I don't want to be overly glib with it, but this this fringe aspect may, be, may eventually become the greatest understanding of reality that could prove that, you know, we are or aren't in a matrix or that there is or is not something outside of space and time. But right now, I'm not even convinced that outside of space and time is even a coherent concept. Uh, and it may not be required for all of these. But I just don't see that any of this serves as a justification to, you know, to reach any belief, a belief in a god or a belief that there are no gods. I don't, it, we're not at a point where this gets us anywhere. It's not as easily dismissed as, you know, navel gazing or the person who thinks they're getting telepathic messages. Um, <laughs> but, but as it stands right now, I don't see that there's any there there, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, no problem. And, um, and on, and yeah, on that mean, I'll, note, I'll let you. Yeah, on that note, I'm going to go ahead and get on to some other callers and see if I can't crank through uh, a few of them here before we're out. But I appreciate the information, Jared. Hey, not a problem. You have a good one, sir. Thanks. All right. What do we got? Uh, Steven, thanks for waiting. You had a question. Hi. Yeah, how's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty good, I think. I don't um, know. I'm flying solo, so there's nobody to tell me I'm really screwing it up. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure you, you've been doing fine so far. Um, So... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a former Christian. I'm an atheist. Um, I've been an atheist for about two years. And um, in the talks that I've had with Christians in that time, a lot of them have reverted to using the kind of Psy 10 Bruggen Kate presuppositionalist mm-hmm. argument. And I want to know what were some really, uh, some simple, easily digestible ways to counter that. So, not to toot my own horn, but I'm assuming you've seen the debate that I did with Psy? I, I have, yes. Okay. Also, on my uh, Patreon project channel, there are three or four videos that go through that de- that debate in detail that a- gives I've additional... Seen You've seen those two? Yep. Well, I don't know if I have much else to say to you. For me, the, the, <laughs> the, the short uh, crux of the problem with presuppositionalists is this. They, their claim, foundationally, or their presupposition is that their worldview can offer an explanation for things and no other worldview can. And in this case, the things that they're uh, claiming their worldview offers an explanation for are the foundations of reason, about why reasoning is possible. And the truth of the matter is they never actually demonstrate that their worldview can offer an explanation. Mm -hmm. They just assert that that is the case. And at no point do they show that no other worldview can. They just will say, you know, can you offer an explanation? And when you say no, the conclusion is then, well, your view can't, your worldview can't. And no, the correct, correct conclusion from that is, I can't. 
And my current world, or my worldview currently may not be able to offer an explanation for this. That doesn't mean that there's no worldview that can, and it doesn't mean that my worldview might not offer an explanation later. And also, it all presupposes the idea that there is, in fact, an explanation for this, and that it's that it, it eliminates the idea that this is prima facie the way things are, uh, as if they could be any other way, as if there was ever any possibility uh, that that it couldn't have the, the reasoning uh, or the, the foundations of reasoning, identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle, um, could be violated. It's, as far as I can tell, they are necessarily uh, true and true everywhere in all places and all times, etc. Um, that, that is a presupposition. I'm presupposing that those things are true, and I acknowledge that during the debate. My point is, I don't think you can demonstrate that because any attempt to demonstrate it or falsify it would require you assuming that those things are in fact true. So you you end up in this sort of uh, contradiction where you would be using the foundations of logic to show that it is or isn't true. And I can see somebody just like grabbing their head and shaking their head about, oh no, we're going down this road again. Um, I think that that's really it. Uh, if if at the end of the day, presuppositionalists are presupposing God. They're not offering evidence for a God. They're not evidentialists. And you can just say, hey, I don't think it's fair to presuppose a God. I'm an evidentialist. Now they're going to start attacking. Well, how do you, you know, what are your, your, your justifications for believing things? How do you know that your senses are reliable? How do you know, you know, all this? Those are all answerable in the same way that I, I did during the debate. Um, so I'm not going to go through the whole debate again here. So is it really, so in saying that we presuppose our, our reason and really saying that's the only thing we presuppose, would that really be an application of Occam's razor? Exactly. So, for example, sci- I tried to get this out during the debate, but he was as stubborn as you can imagine. Sai and I both agree on identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle. He claims that he has an explanation for why they are what they are. I don't claim to have an explanation. I don't accept his explanation. I don't see any reason to accept his explanation. Uh, to me, his explanation is a violation of Occam's razor. And until, you can, until he can actually demonstrate an explanation and not just a God did it, I, I don't, you haven't added anything. You've tried to solve a mystery by appealing to a bigger mystery, and that got you nowhere. And the, the presuppositionalist you know, uh, explanation, so-called, of God did it, is that can really be applied to any kind of magical explanation. You could say unicorns did it, or sure. you know, if you're not even a Christian, you can say Allah did it, or whatever. It, it Magic works for whatever situation, I guess. Yeah, and the, the outs- there's a bunch of other things where there's this outsider test, you know, oh, well, God has revealed to you that this is the way <laughs> yeah. it is. And the problem is, if you are a limited being who cannot understand the things that God can understand, then how can God... Uh, it's like pouring clean water through a dirty filter. You're the dirty filter. God's giving you the clean information. You're not getting clean information, and you're not able to disseminate clean information it's like you here's something I can't understand but I have a friend who understands it and because of that I understand it Hmm. that's not the case 
at best, I can have a, I can say I have a friend who thinks they understand it and appears to understand, but until I actually understand it, I can't confirm that my friend's explanation is right. Right. So that's where they're stuck. So I guess then the only, I mean, the best way to counter them really is to say that we, we disagree with their so-called explanation that the God hypothesis doesn't work at all, and we and us, we are not claiming to have an explanation for things like reason. I can't tell you if that's the best way. Uh, there are people who would say the best way is to ignore them, um, <laughs> because this subset of presupposition was they're they're getting popularity in the sense that um, they they give the appearance of answering a difficult question without ever actually answering it. And to me, anytime you have that situation, the best thing to do is just to expose that that's exactly what just took place. But All right, cool. All right, th- thanks so much, Matt. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. All right, have a good one. All right. All right. Chris in San Francisco, thanks for waiting. Are you there? Hey, 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 man. Good hey. to hear your voice, brother. Very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I, or you just awesome. answered that. I am right as rainy. Can't complain. <laughs> I know, right? I, I mean, sometimes on the show, right I just on. get on autopilot where I know that my after I say hello, the next thing can be, I'm doing okay, how are you? And you already answered it, so it's good. What do you got for us? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Oh, yes, sir. I wanted to go ahead and, you know, address and comment that I was moved by the episode from like a couple of weeks ago about removing removing the fig leaf with the Neil right. Car- Neil Carter and uh, Sarah Moorhead. Yeah. And it really inspired me because I'm also, they were talking about how there's like a bisexual who's also on the autism spectrum as well and how he's dealing with an uh, issue with his sexuality and you know, like totally different than someone who's non-autistic. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a big old goofy world. You're You're in that boat? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. And I recently came out as bisexual again. I came out when I was like 18, told my aunt about it. She was in denial. And then because she was in denial about it and I trusted her judgment, I was like, oh, I guess I'm not bisexual then. But then like later on, like I had these urges. I, I don't mean, I don't, I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to laugh because I under, I, I can kind of understand the difficulty, uh, in these situations. I can't completely understand not, you know, having been there. Um, it's just that listening, you know, to these conversations about, you know, coming out and coming to, to terms with what identity label actually fits. Um, I at one time would have said, oh, of mm-hmm. course, it's absolutely obvious what I am attracted to and what I'm not attracted to. Um, what I've learned is that it's not all that obvious. It's not even static. And what label exactly. you choose to put on it is perhaps a mess. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not ready to, to jump the I fence, got- but mm-hmm. Thor is hot. I mean, and I, I don't, I don't want to have sex with him, but there's no denying that that's a pretty man. Just like me, exactly. <laughs> I mean, just like me, you know. There's, I, I can understand, you know, people being attracted to all kinds of different things. So you were you were talking about uh, the interaction with your mom and and coming out and then kind of uh, rethinking it and then coming to grips with it again later. Um, are you, and and you talked about last week's show. Are you, um, you know, involved with uh, with the organization or the the blog? I guess or or looking to be. I mean, like, I, you know, I was like looking for the uh, specific article about that, mm-hmm. you know, prior to calling into the show. But 
I definitely do want to be involved with that like a whole lot more. I actually, I came out, you know, to my aunt instead of my mom, but I will come up to my uh, stepmom like later on tonight or this week. I came up to my little brother though, and my little brother, he's a theist, he's a Christian, and he was like coming in on the fact, you know, like, you know, that I'm an atheist and I told him about me being bisexual. He tried to come at it like, um, you know, like, I, he's like, I feel like just like, you know, like in believing that bisexuality like is wrong. That's what he was saying. And he was like, oh, I can use empathy and reason to go ahead and justify, you know, justify his morality. But I brought up, you know, the fact about how in Leviticus, how it says like, oh, if a man lies with a man the way that a woman, you know, the way that a man and a woman would normally do, then they should be like put to death, that type of thing. And he kind of like snaked around it. He didn't like say like, oh, that's wrong what they were doing, but he was just basically saying, like, oh, he's using the type of mechanism that I'm using to go ahead and justify my morality. So so I'm not quite sure I'm following. Yeah. He's basically, he's on your side, or he's okay with it? Oh, no, he's against it. He's against, he's against, it. against it. Like, I'll go ahead. You might exactly. let him know that that passage in Leviticus, for example, my, my friend Keith Lowell Jensen, who's a comedian, has pointed out that that, that passage could just be advice about positions. Like, you don't lie with a man the same way you lie with a woman. You have to kind of maybe raise up a little more. <laughs> I, I, I know exactly all that is hella funny. And Keith I, mean, is funny. I just want him to, like, I just want him to understand, you know, like, you know, like where, I'm, where I'm coming from. Not just, like, on a bisexuality issue, but also why... I'm an atheist and why I feel like I'm more morally superior, like to my God, you know, to his God, yeah. not my God, but to his God, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, wait, I'm just like, wait a second here. You talk about, you believe like, you know, you value, you value like this, this and this about God. And you say that, Oh, Oh, he was saying that too. Like our morality was like defined, you know, like before we defined it ourselves and blah, 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 blah. I know it's going on like another tangent, but at no, the same time, I just feel like. Hmm. No, I, I go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like I just want to go ahead and like I also want to go ahead and counteract what he was talking about as well. You know about morality, you know, and God's like positions. Like I brought up like the story about Elisha and First Kings about him uh, cursing forty-two years in the name of the Lord and bring about the like. You know, bring about you know the sheep bears that came and yeah. killed the youth, blah 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 blah. I think I think still, I would kind of stay yeah. away. I mean, you can do stuff like that. You can talk about how the Bible advocates for morality, and I talk about that almost ad nauseum. I, I think it comes up every week or every couple of weeks uh, because I think it's the most obviously right. flawed thing. I think in conversations like this, one of the best ways to to deal with this is to say, okay, you have your views on morality and your citing the Bible to support them. I don't share your views, and I don't share any reason to see the Bible as something I should consider instructive with regard to morality. Why should I? Get get them, you know, why should I? Get them to justify why you should pay any attention. How, how, why is it that, you know, we're going to use your particular holy book and uh, not somebody else's? Why are we using a holy book at all? I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're totally right because the burden of proof is on him, especially because he was a missionary as well, and he's evangelizing, so he's in that same boat already. Why should the random stranger that you come up to and you tell him about how, 
oh, Jesus is so awesome. Jesus is going to save you, and you should go in and believe in him before your cat, before you, you know, before your uh, ticket is up. Because otherwise, it's going to be like a place of like fire and torment that's going to be upon you, blah, 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 blah. And in my mind, I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. I felt cool, pretty, I felt fine before you came to me and told me this, uh, yeah. like and wonderful slash news at the same time. So d- does he view this as a, you know, I, I don't, I, I would imagine he probably doesn't view it as uh, God made you and you're bisexual because that's the way God made you. Well, some of them do. Some of them would say God made you this way to put a stumbling block in your path to, to build character or something. And in that case, you know, <laughs> you're a dick uh, if it's about character. But also, exactly. I, I don't think. But if you didn't want if you didn't want somebody to like dudes, why'd you make all the pictures of Jesus so hot? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't feel like my little brother's like coming at me like that. I think he's like, oh, like bisexual, you know, like homosexuality, bisexuality, any other sexuality aside from heterosexuality, like is totally wrong. He felt like it's unnatural. And I called him out on it. I was like, bro, that's a naturalistic fallacy. Yeah. Just because you say that it's not natural, just because you think it's natural for heterosexuality does not necessarily mean that it's right. And I was like, is it wrong for me to feel this way? You know what I mean? And then I pointed out to him, I was like, there's homosexual rats, and there's lesbian chimpanzees. That I read like my psychology, like in the psychology book, and I'm just like that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. It's right because I like what I like, and that's yeah. how I was like coming from from the reason and empathy perspective. I was like, is it wrong for me to go ahead and say like, oh, you're a heterosexual and you're also in an interracial relationship that you shouldn't be doing that? Yeah, Not you know, it's it's one of those you know, despite uh, comments and fun today, I'm probably about as straight as anybody you're going to find. Uh, and I never chose to be straight. And I, and maybe uh, maybe I was made wrong. Maybe I should have been made bisexual. I mean, you have far more opportunities to have sex. So exactly, there's like so many options, and it's like one of the things I like being battling with, you know, especially with me being a high functioning autistic. Everybody's like, oh, you're being like irrational and blah blah blah, blah blah blah. Like, uh, and like all my friends, are like, oh, also too, like. They're like, um, are you really gay? And you're just saying that you're bi, just as like a like a cover, like a front. I was like, no, I like men, and I like women. I like women more, you know, like you know, like affects me different, you know, affects me like differently than my attraction to women. But I feel like men, nevertheless. It's it's probably a good idea to start, you know, and and they may be completely close to this, and it may be just just the case that. Uh, this is the way things are, at least for now, and you're not not, not going to make any progress. But also, getting them, and by the way, you use whatever ever label you're comfortable with, but getting them out of the uh, the gay, straight, bi boxes and viewing it as, as a spectrum, you can say, you know, I'm not gay, I'm just gayer than you are. Uh, you know, looking at it on this <laughs> spectrum, I'm more interested in the full spectrum, and you're more interested in this end of the spectrum. Uh, we've learned a lot um, in the last century or so about human sexuality, we're far from done with any of it. And the idea that some Bronze Age people were given the end-all, be-all instruction to human sexuality, uh, and, you know, this is th- that nothing uh, has changed either in how we act or in how we think about how we act, is just bizarre to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I wish you all the luck in the world in trying to deal with this. Uh, the most important thing is to uh, keep yourself safe and happy, happy. And if that means, unfortunately, cutting somebody out of your life who is making your life not safe and happy, uh, then 
you know, I, I know it's it's difficult to lose family members. Hopefully, this many times mm-hmm. the initial reaction to anything, whether it's about your sexuality or the you know the, the atheism, is incredibly negative. And I, I think Dan Savage has rec- recommended giving people a year to say all the terrible shit that they want, uh, and then after that, it, it's shape up or ship out. And I can tell you that by and large, most of the people I've heard from, uh, most of the people I've heard from, not all, things get better. There, you don't ever get back to normal, but you get to a new normal where you know, okay, I don't approve. He knows I doesn't. I don't. I don't approve. Um, but we're getting nowhere, constantly having fights about this. So why don't I, hey, uh, stop worrying about who my son's having sex with and get on to, you know, is he happy? Uh, you know, is, how's his work life going? Whatever. Um, I, I find that some people, uh, I, I suspect that some parents are far more worried about whether or not they're going to have grandkids than who you're actually having sex with. Uh, they, they, you get this yeah, fantasy exactly. image in your life of what your life's going to be like. I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, then I'm going to have grandkids. And I think that there's, uh, in many cases, this this visceral reaction to, hey, wait a minute, if, if you're gay uh, or you're bisexual, I might not get grandkids out of it. And that's not necessarily true either. Uh, as if Jen was here today, she, she's out. Uh, she would point out that uh, mm-hmm. she has a son who's awesome. So, all right on, right on. All right. I was going to say, like on another note. Oh, are you? Uh, yeah, go ahead. On time, man. I just want to go like. All right, I just want to get like a uh, one more point in, like right. Quick. Sure. There's, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about, you know, like, like my little brother knows. I'm pretty sure like a few of my other siblings know because I posted like. Man Crush Mondays and Woman Crush Wednesday, Women Crush Wednesday, Woman Crush Wednesdays on Instagram. And yeah. like quite a few of my siblings follow me on Instagram. So they know for sure. And I'm not sure if they ran and told a stepmom and whatnot. So I haven't talked with her like in a while, but I am going to go ahead and like call her like tonight. Like, like it's nerve wracking for me because like I love my relationship with her. Like I love my relationship with her more than my biological father. And I know that if I were to come out, I haven't spoken to my, my father like in, over a year, I think, mm-hmm. like, oh, like almost like a year, <laughs> and so like I know for sure that he'll be very upset about me being bisexual because I remember that like, when we were in church, he actually told me that he wanted to like my mom like homosexuals and blah 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 blah. This was like years ago. Like he told me that he would like disown me if he found out that I was a homosexual, and so I'm just like, I'm not going to go ahead and tell him the news. I'm going to go ahead and let him find out the, here through the grapevine. Yeah, just go but ahead and I will just go ahead and disown him first. Um, you, you know, if, if somebody, if somebody's done that, I don't see any, see any reason to not just go ahead and disown them first. And there's no reason, by the way, you're not obligated to come out to anybody or let anybody know about your private life, your thoughts. But I appreciate the fact that you value that, that you want them to know them, know you for who you are. And they either like you for who you, you are or they don't. Um, but I, th- I think the big thing is to make sure that you're safe and happy and that even in the process of coming out, um, that you have people that you can talk to. And that you don't put yourself at risk at any point, or at least not at serious I risk. But I appreciate the exactly, call, Chris. Exactly. Thanks so much for calling. All the time, man. Always a pleasure to talk with you, brother. Good luck, man. You too. All right. 
Well, these are all interesting. There's been been elements of sci-fi. We've got about uh, 25 minutes left as a reminder when the show's over. Uh, some of the folks get involved, get together, and go to Thread Gills, which will appear at the bottom of the screen like magic if they're paying attention. Right there. It's the best trick I do. Uh, oh, crap. Uh, Gabriel, call back. I was busy looking here and hit the wrong button and hung up on you after all that time. Uh, we'll get you on there. Uh, is it Bard or Brad? Bard, yeah. Bard. How are you doing, mate? Great. And you're in Sydney? Sydney, Australia, yeah. Ah, I was there just over a year ago. Oh, yes. You've got some speeches on, on, on YouTube, I believe. Yeah. So what do you got for so, us? So I uh, just want to say, first of all, how easy it is to call on your website. I didn't realize um, how simple the process is for anyone else that's interested in calling. Yeah, um, like a big green button. Click it and you're, you're in. Yeah, nothing happens. It doesn't install anything. It literally just uh, starts talking to you guys. So it's pretty fantastic. Um, so I, I, I called because I, you know, you guys have got some more esoteric uh, topics that you're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, and I introduced myself as an atheist that believes in life after death. Okay. So I have a, a theory regarding that. Um, is it an actual theory or is it a hypothesis? Um, I'll let you tell me. It has uh, three premises and a conclusion. Well, that sounds more like an argument, which would be neither, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the, the shortest possible version of it is uh, that consciousness is time, space, and substrate independent, uh, and that if the universe is infinite, uh, life after death is possible. So that's the, um, the first premise is that consciousness... Is time, space, and substance independent? Substrate independent, yeah. So I count them as the three premises of the argument. Oh, um, wait, that was all three? That was all three, yeah. Okay. Um, I, don't, I, it, I, I don't think I accept any of the premises. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, if you're interested, we could look at the premises and you can uh, refute them or, or well, accept them. I guess pick, pick the premise that you think is strongest and kind of, okay. I guess, make the case for why sure. consciousness, because so far as I can tell, um, mm -hmm. the only observable consciousnesses that we've ever, that we've ever observed uh, are very clearly tied to the material world, time, space, and substance. So go, by all yeah. means... Okay, well, obviously defining consciousness is, the, I would say, the most important um, part. And, you know, why I've called you guys, because I feel like consciousness is really the, uh, the center point of, of what so many religions are trying to get at. You know, is there a spirit? Is, you know, what is you? What is Matt Dillahunty? Hmm. So I have my own definition. I'm, I'm interested in what you would define your well, own consciousness. Well, that, that's the thing is, what is me? Um, I would have to say has to be the product of my brain in the sense mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I, this idea of self is a package of th thoughts, memories, beliefs, preferences, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the uh, awareness of surroundings and reacting to that. All of these things you know, make the, the self-consciousness. Uh, but but I'll acknowledge that you know consciousness is actually not only difficult to to define, but it's not mm -hmm. very easily explained. And even when 
uh, Dan Dennett wrote his book, Consciousness Explained, the critic's first response was that the book was mistitled. It should be Consciousness Explained <laughs> Away. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, that, that's kind of my view of consciousness and self. And so okay. because we know if we damage parts of my brain, parts of that change, one aspect of this is continuity. So right. yeah. uh, if I don't, there, there is a context in which I am not the same person that I was this morning when I woke up. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's new information in my brain. There may be things that I no longer uh, remember or have easy access to. So, but there is a continuity of experience there so far as we're yeah. aware of. Yeah. And so you get to the ship of Theseus problem where, you know, as you start replacing bits on the ship, when does it stop being the ship? And it, if, exactly. if all 100% of that ship has been changed, is it the same ship? And the answer yeah. is no and yes. <laughs> and so the no answer is, is are the constituent parts of this ship that we're labeling ship of Theseus the same as when we started? And the answer is clearly no. But... Mm-hmm. The ship of Theseus is a label that we apply, and that label has a uh, a continuity with the parts. So we take the label, and at point A, the label applies to all the parts of the ship. And when we replace a part, we redefine the label such that it now applies to this new thing. And the label changes along with the ship so that it is always the ship. And that's the same thing for the self. My The label of what I am... Um, changes right along with me. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that you do assign that label and say that you are still you, even if your cells in your brain have been replaced over time? Yes, I I am still the label. I mean, this is a a self, actually not Mm -hmm. just a self-adopted label. Um, It's a label that we'd actually agree on. For example, you know, uh, my wife still uses the label for me that she used when we got married, even though I'm different. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is this is more of an issue of labeling. Uh, and this is why I'm, I mentioned the continuity. When we talk about identity and transporter problems yeah. and things like that, continuity yeah. is essential. And this is why okay. I can't understand how you can divorce consciousness from time. Okay. Well, that's the second, well, the, the second premise is, is what I call, or what I think was properly referred to as the contiguity of consciousness or the continuousness of it but that's not Um, independent from time that is expressed as a continuous change through time exactly exactly like a musical song you know it has to has to stay together okay one so my one note after another my only real confusion here is that whenever i raise a point you keep saying exactly and all of my (laughs) points are designed to show that consciousness isn't independent (laughs) From time that is in fact constrained and constantly redefined as time changes. Okay. Well, uh, in regards to the time premise, uh, I think a hypothesis, uh, sorry, a hypothetical is an easy way to play with it a bit. Uh, imagine your brain, which you've said is is what your consciousness is. You know what what makes it uh, is frozen, and not in a destructive way with ice crystals and so on, but literally frozen still in time okay uh, and then left in that state for a billion years so every atom is perfectly in its position and doesn't move sure and then it's unpaused after a billion years mm-hmm. would you say that it, that has broken the contiguity of your consciousness no because the, no because the physical elements are still there and there's a continuity through that there is a break in mm-hmm. the continuity of experiencing mhm yep 
So, so in in a way, you agree with my second premise and and pretty much the first one as well. Now the question I, I disagree with both of them. <laughs> well, I, and and um, that, my answer is in conflict with that. So, so maybe so, maybe the way your premises are worded are are a bit uh, troubling because okay, it's. Would My consciousness. Okay, so yeah. would there be a break in consciousness, right. provided we're in, uh, including awareness in that? Yes, definitely, mm-hmm. because yeah. th- there's a, a conscious awareness before the freezing and a conscious awareness afterwards. But as far as the identity of the physical brain that actually manifests this, this consciousness, uh, yep. there's no there's no break there. It would be like okay. if you froze time instead of my brain. Uh-huh. Yeah. There is that ex- there is that exact same break. If you froze time, there is this break for however it, it's difficult to put into words for however much time time is frozen for. Uh mm-hmm. there is a break in that consciousness. But yes. because yes. you know, I don't I guess we're getting kind of sci-fi fantasy there uh, of <laughs> yeah, freezing time for some a period of time. Anyway, uh let, let's try and roll through this cuz I want to get to a couple more before we we get there, but absolutely because the, the life after death element is actually what I was. Yeah. So the the final premises is essentially hypothetical is the easiest way. Imagine. So you've agreed that you would still your consciousness would still be continuous, you know, with the pausing. Now imagine that once your brain is paused, all of the atoms are exploded and spread across all corners of the galaxy for a billion years, then brought back together exactly in the same position and restarted again. Would that mean that you had died, or that would you actually uh, be continuous? Ah, so here's the problem. The problem is the definition of death. And when you construct a scenario that flies in the face of everything we know and understand is death, now Mm -hmm. you you have to have a new definition of death. And by the way, death is a process, not an event. It's just that quite often uh, the event is rather condensed in time. Mm -hmm. Now... If the the idea is, hey, I'm a conscious, I suffer a heart attack right now, blood stops flowing to my brain at some point over the next few minutes, however, I don't know how long I'm likely to survive, but uh, we reach a point where we declare that I am dead. And then they take me to the hospital, and they hit me with the paddles, and for whatever reason, I come back from the dead. Was I dead and then restored to life? Or, Mm -hmm. during this process of death, was it simply reversed or or, or jump-started? So, it's the thinking of death as, I mean, uh, you're not dead until you're cold and dead. uh, Or, sorry, uh, was it warm and dead? No, cold and dead. Uh, Anyway, death is, when you construct this example of what happens if we take all the atoms in my brain and explode them out for a billion years... And then we put them all back and restart them. Well, what happens in that case is that we redefine the process of death such that okay. if your bra- the atoms of your brain are exploded all over the universe and put back together exactly where they were and restarted, um, yeah. then you're in the exact same state as when I was resuscitated at the hospital. You know, right. Was I dead? I don't know that you can say that. But if this is an argument for life after death, 
what it sounds well, like. Life after the, the definition given by most people today. But See, that's, absolutely yeah, right. nobody yeah. talks... Okay, so this is, this is why this is mildly frustrating. Nobody, <laughs> nobody who talks about life after death means anything remotely like this. So, mm-hmm. so now we've just had this interesting you know, uh, thought experiment, and uh, mm-hmm. what we've gotten to is not life after death by you know, uh, any practical well, maybe, means. Maybe I could put a bow on it by saying um, if the universe is infinite, and we can't know that, that, that you know, there may be a chance that it is infinite, you know, what would be the probability that all of those atoms that will be you know, melted away when you do die come back in the exact same configuration at the point of your death well it would be 100 percent because all permutations of all atoms would occur so you know do you understand like that basically saying that uh, if the universe is infinite you will actually wake up again and be fully conscious at some point after your death yeah okay does that satisfy (laughs) no it's it's uh it's it's not only unsatisfying it is just because the universe may be at least one directionally infinite doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everything is possible. Mm-hmm. So it may be the case that in this infinite universe, I'm never able to remove my arm, wave it around, and stick it back on. There are foundational laws of physics that define the parameters. And the type of thing that you're talking about, while it may appear to be mathematically not impossible, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it is uh, epistemically actually possible. That Because the arrangement of atoms that resulted in my brain don't mm-hmm. happen uh, as some sort of spontaneous process. And if we had brains popping into existence floating around the room... Well, now maybe you might say, okay, one of those brains might be somebody who died, but we don't have any sort of example of this. And until we do, I don't see any reason to believe that just because we can't say it's impossible, that it's therefore uh, possible. And certainly I don't know too many people who would count it as life after death. If anything, it would just be life after life. No, that's excellent. Yeah, I'll accept that. Cool. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. We're running up on time, Bart. I appreciate the call. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye. Uh, let's see. All right. I, because I'm going to do a debate on this in the near future, I'll take uh, Gabriel. Thanks for calling back. My apologies for hanging uh, up on no you. Problem. No problem. Thanks. Actually, unbelievably, uh, I've searched all over the Internet about my question and talked about loads of people, and the last caller pretty much just asked it. Really? <laughs> yes. I couldn't believe it. But so the, so the, your the, argument for, for resurrection being probable was it, essentially it, what it the last caller was about. I, I, it was just under the kind of premises that I think oh, I'm, I'm a physical being, all properties of me must be physical, yep. um, and the laws of physics don't seem to change over time, and I know that it's possible for me to exist because of the laws of physics, so I, I was, you know, I thought... Well, you know it's possible in, for you to in, exist in, because you exist. Yeah, and <laughs> given an indefinite amount of time, I would have thought then it's probable that I will exist again. Not definite, but probable. Yeah, and so when you start talking about probabilities, and and I'm, I've, I've done one video about this, and I'll probably talk to it a little a little bit more. I don't know if it'll be in in tomorrow's. I haven't really uh, cornered that, but I'll I'll take a look at it. Um, I'm, the debate I'm doing in August is on the resurrection of Jesus, whether or not it actually happened or not. Um, and I can tell you right now that if my opponent walks into the room with some sort of, well, if the universe is infinite, then you know. 
anything is possible and it's probable that Jesus's atoms were disseminated and and then reformed out outside of the stone that was rolled or rolled the stone away and, and came out uh, appealing to uh, what seemed to be outrageous uh, not even epistemic possibilities but epistemic non not conclusively impossibilities uh, nobody's going to win a debate that way. And it, it's not remotely like what is described. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. Cool. Um, I could talk about another question. Is that possible? Uh, as long as we can do it pretty quick. I've got a, I've actually got um, a theist waiting too. Yeah, that's, that's fine. It should be very quick. I mean, I actually have a kind of different... I'm not a Buddhist, but I have quite kind of Buddhist-type beliefs. So I think that kind of um, all the you know atoms that I'm made up of came from the universe. So I think, in a greater sense of the term, I, we are all the universe. And yeah, so I think that that I, I get that, and I I don't disagree with it. I just think that um, that it's, it's the wrong way to go about addressing it because it gives an impression that isn't accurate. You know, when people talk about oh we're all one or we're all this okay yeah it, it gives it gives an impression along those lines um which is kind of like saying me and this plastic bottle are related well technically um you know we we the atoms that you know were formed in stars were men but i'm not related to this bottle in any sense that's worthwhile um not when we go about like day-to-day life no not for kind of any sort of um, practical practical yeah. purpose and but since this is coke kind of zero I, i'm not even sure there's like any biological <laughs> matter in here at all so i mean I, I think i'm probably less related to this than you know anything biological but then kind of just to relate that to the idea of rebirth sure not in the sense that kind of I'm saying you are some disembodied soul and that you become a cricket if you've been a bad person. But I just meant that when you die, that means you don't you don't completely cease to exist because, um, you know, your energy gets recycled into something else potentially living. Well, you, so, you completely cease to exist that pa- because you is the label we put on this particular passage of Gabriel that's in London and calling... Um, Bristol, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, it says London on my sheet, so... Yeah, I didn't say anything. <laughs> um, I didn't say... Yeah. <laughs> so, so, right, once again, we're, we're almost... Uh, I agree. When I die, um, my body will be farmed out for whatever scientific experiments, and eventually it'll all get chucked out and rot and disseminate, and it will, you know, provide nourishment for some worm somewhere and all of... But that's also true of the me from 10 years ago or 15 years ago because there's no atoms left in my body that were there 15 years ago. They, they, they all process through as we're... So what I was then uh, has gone on to feed stuff already and this process continues after I'm dead. Um, yeah, I... I yeah. Many, many I mean, times these conversations seem like they're a desperate way to take a an idea from a religion and apply it to find some way to make it work, we've got to make. Uh, and I'm not. I know you're not doing this, I, and I'm not accusing you. But okay. this is where these ideas. Uh, we we see this all the time in New Age stuff. Um, oh, there's this. There's something so important about this concept of 
of worship or reverence or oneness or consciousness that we need to find a, something in reality to make sense of it because religions have failed to make sense of it, but we really like the concept. And I'm pretty much in the camp of, I don't give a rat's ass about the concept. I give a rat's ass about whether or not it's true in the context that we're talking about it. Because okay. it, it, because saying that, that uh, love is all you need or any other deepity um, doesn't yeah. tell me anything. Love isn't all I need. I need food yeah. and oxygen and things like that. And by the way, there are people who manage to get by with food and water and oxygen that don't actually have much in the way of love. But we want love to be all we need. We want it to have so much significance because it feels like it does. And and when we go searching to to make a concept useful, I think we're admitting that it's not. So, I mean, would you do you think people perhaps come up with these theories because they're scared of death? Uh, I think that's one of many reasons. Um, yeah. It's why I like the quote that's been attributed to Mark Twain about, you know, I was dead a billion years before I was born and it never bothered me one bit. Um, and when I hear from people who are, you know, worried about hell, uh, I, I tend to ask them, you know, okay, which hell? Which afterlife are you, <laughs> which, when you, when you consider afterlife, you gotta look at them all. And then you still gotta make this decision. Do I shoot for the best heaven or do I shoot to avoid the worst hell? And how okay. do you make that yeah. decision? And and my answer is, I don't see any reason to think any of them are real. Uh, and so I'm just going to, and I don't have any choice. I'm going to believe what I am convinced of, and I'm not going to believe what I'm not convinced of. And I'm going to do my best to focus on the one and only life that I know I'm going to have. And if it turns out there's some afterlife, it's a bonus. Uh, I don't see that that is remotely reasonable. All of the things that seem to make me me as far as I can tell, uh, are malleable. You know, you suffer a brain injury, you can, you can lose your identity, your personality, everything. And when I, when I am dead, after this process of death that we talked about, I don't see that there's anything left of me uh, to possibly continue in any way that is me. And I think it is uh, our, our arrogance, our, our fear of being lost, uh, getting back to the way we started the show, where I quoted from Prince's uh, Let's Go Crazy. Um, there's a, a line in there, uh, better live now before the Grim Reaper comes knocking on your door. You know, if we all die, what is it all for? There's this nihilistic view in there of, uh, if I die, what was my life about? And Prince's answer in that song is, live it up now. It's almost a hedonistic thing, uh, which is, Mark, we're getting like amazing static uh, from this, so I'm going to apologize. Let you go. We're almost out of time anyway, but I appreciate the call. Um, I'm going to try to do this, even though we're running up on time. Tim in Berlin, thanks for waiting. Um, yes, hi Matt. Hi. I have I have a question actually about rationality. Yeah. Um, would you agree that one doesn't choose what one believes, but that the belief is held when it seems believable, or in other words, rational to the believer? Yeah, I, I don't think we choose our beliefs at all. I think you you are either convinced or you're not convinced. And you become convinced through a process of reasoning, and you can become convinced for good reasons or bad reasons. Um, okay. Um, so what is the standard for determining if a position is rational? 
the standard, um, and I'm looking for the best way to phrase this, is independent verification about reality. So the, the, way, the way science is geared up to work best is, hey, I observed something. Let me see if I can come up with an explanation for this. I think I've got an explanation for this. Let me go out and give it to a bunch of other people to see if they see the same thing. Let them evaluate my explanation. Let me make a, a prediction. I, I come up with a model that can make predictions about this observation, about what we would see if this is in fact the case. And let's get the, th- that tested and come up with a way that it could actually, sh- what could show that it was false. And once you go through this entire process, what you have is independent or seemingly independent verification of what appears to be the best current explanation for reality. Um, and that's just, that's just about distinguishing good explanations or, or rationally reasonably supportable, exp- believable explanations from the ones that aren't. Uh, the, the results are what dictate whether or not you have good reasons. So, so if I would have an experience, um, no, no matter how the experience or what the experience would be, if I could not reproduce the experience, I would never be rationalized to believe in what I believe as a, as a consequence of this experience in your words. Is that correct? Uh, possibly. Here's the thing. We have experiences all the time that we don't have independent verification of that specific instance. For example, if I walk out in the backyard of the building right here and I'm the only one out there, uh, I don't have to uh, wonder if what I'm seeing is real, provided what I'm seeing or what I think I'm seeing is consistent with all of my independently verified experiences before. So it's not like the second we lose independent verification, our whole worldview crumbles. You build you build up models of the world that are independent. So there's some bamboo growing out there. Um, I know because I've gone out and seen it. Other people have seen it. We talked to it. I can get samples and have it independently verified. And knowing that I live in a world that works this way means that when I walk out in the backyard, even if I'm the only one, if I see the bamboo... I, I don't have to go, oh my gosh, how can I possibly know whether or not this is bamboo? On the other hand, if I walk out in the backyard and there's some ghostly apparition and I run back in, or an alien, something I think is an alien, to do a callback, and I run back in here to get some people to go out and verify it and they can't, then all I can say is I had some experience and I can't rationally determine all the pertinent facts about that experience. Was it something in my brain? Um, you know, Did I see something that was real that I just wasn't able to verify? And so we're going back to Hume again, my favorite philosopher. His, one of my favorite quotes from him is, the wise man apportions his belief to the evidence, which means your confidence level in what you believe should be proportional to the amount and the quality and quantity of evidence that supports it. Okay, but in that case, everyone who believes in, in a god or something that you would define as irrational, from their point of view, it has to be rational in order for them to believe it. So would you say that they can actively kind of like um, um, impact um, the way that they assert evidence? Do you know what I'm getting at? Because, you know, everyone no, no, who I believes don't. in god... I, I, I'm, I'm not... Go ahead. I, I'm just. I'm saying I, I don't understand what you're saying. Okay. Everyone who, who believes in a god 
in order for them to believe, uh, since you granted the first uh, premise, and doesn't doesn't choose what what he or she believes, but believes on the basis that it seems rational to them. Yes. So, 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 but you assert their belief to be irrational. Yes. And so, do you think that they can? Well, not necessarily. Somehow, okay, but do you think that they can somehow actively um, um, choose how they assert the evidence that they derive conclusions from? No, but what can happen is this: um, we can we we can be wrong, and we know that we can be wrong because we've all been wrong. So if I don't tell them that their beliefs are irrational, if somebody tells me, you know, hey, God appeared to me and gave me this message, same as the guy who was getting uh, messages from aliens, supposedly, I can't tell him that it didn't happen, and I can't tell him that it's irrational. All I can do is ask them why they believe, and then show why I don't accept that that that, that justification is rational. If their argument for why they believe is you know, uh, a teleological argument, we can go through that argument and point out potential fallacies and other things. If their argument is an ontological argument, we can address that. If it's about a personal experience, all we can say is, do you have good reason to think that your interpretation of your personal experience, we're right back to the very first call of the show, is correct? Or is it possible that you are wrong? How, what mechanism do you have to tell the difference when you're wrong and when you're not? And that mechanism, by and large, is independent verification. Which means, as going back to my favorite philosopher for the third or fourth time today, as Hume says, revelation is necessarily first person, and to everybody else it's hearsay. So your personal experience may be very convincing to you, and you may be convinced that it's rational, but you can be wrong both about your interpretation and about whether it is in fact rational. And it is possible, by the way, is possible to hold a rationally justified belief that turns out to be false. And one of the prime examples is when people thought that the sun went around the earth. All of the available rational evidence at the time supported that conclusion, and that conclusion was wrong. But the way you demonstrate it's wrong is by coming up with additional evidence and showing that there is a, a more accurate model that provides a better description than just sun go around and round, so clearly it's going around us. Because the idea that the Earth was spinning on its axis was incredibly counterintuitive because we had no examples of something spinning without crap flying off of it. Why weren't we flying off? I mean, you had to gain an understanding about gravity and stuff like that. If it were the case that believers had the same sort of justification, like they're the ones who are right, they're the ones who are the Earth spins, that's something that we believe once there's justification for it. As it stands right now, if believers are correct about the existence of a God, they are correct by happenstance. They have not offered evidence for the existence of God. They have not offered sound, rational arguments for the existence of God. If they had, you know, we'd have Nobel Prizes and it'd be front page news everywhere. Uh, and it would be taught in grade school. Yep, there's a God. But they haven't done that. Okay, and and, and I, I, I apologize, but we've actually gone like five minutes over, and uh, we're going to hit our, our upload limit if I don't stop. But feel free, by all means, to call in uh, another time, or you can email tv at atheist-community.org uh, to hear from more of the rest of us. My apologies to the two people I did not get to, uh, but we calls. And, uh, you know, after 95 minutes, 
I'm worn out. It's been a long day. I don't normally get up early on Sunday. One of the big benefits to being an atheist was you get to sleep in on Sunday, and then a local Methodist church says, hey, can you be here at 9? I'm like, 9? I'm not up at 9 on a Monday, let alone Sunday. But uh, it's been a great day overall. I had a really good time uh, with the folks of the United Methodist Church. Uh, thank them for, for having me out there. They were uh, n- not just pleasant, but they were interested, and I think a lot of people got a lot of information out of what I said. I really wish that there was more of a dialogue uh, so that I could get more out of what their views were. Luckily, I had a couple questions afterwards. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I'll be in uh, Canada next weekend at a convention, Regina, Saskatchewan. Thanks to all the folks who work in the other room to make the show run almost seamlessly. We didn't even have to switch cameras today because I, I flew solo. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I won't be here next week, but probably two somebodies. And thanks to everybody who showed up. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you.